Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Time is a crazy thing. It is just the darndest thing. I mean, 2020 felt like it would never end, and yet here we are. And also, it was somehow a complete and utter blur. Um, there are many fireworks going on outside my window, because as I record this introduction, it is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on New Year's Eve here in Philadelphia. And, well, Philly, mm, they love their fireworks. I felt compelled to release just one more episode before we bid adieu to this tumultuous year. You know, to wrap up just one more thing before the clock strikes midnight. Why not? So, Happy New Year, listeners. I hope that things are going to go a bit smoother in 2021. I have been keeping positive. I'm going to continue to keep positive, And I'm looking forward to releasing episodes in the coming year for you all. Today's guest is someone that I have really gotten to know better through the recording process of this interview. They recorded not one, but three different interviews with me because, well, Matt Lambert had the absolute pleasure of being my first remote recording guest of the podcast. I owe them much gratitude for helping me work out all the technical difficulties, and I gotta say, third time was truly a charm for us. I'm not sure I'd have it any other way. During this time of COVID, Matt Lambert, in partnership with Feather Shiverini, formed the Fulcum Project, and with that, launched a digital residency as the project's inaugural initiative, which is what our conversation is focused on. So yes, of course, give the conversation a listen, but I also encourage you to read the full statement on what this project is and why it came to be on our website at perceivevaluepodcast.com. Privilege is a fulcrum and should be used to leverage space for empathy and equanimity. Now, that's their words, but they're real good words. And with that in mind, please welcome today's guest, Matt Lambert. Very like Rugrats '90s look today. Like I got like oh, I see the that Sarah Beth on your neck. On. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I, did you see my? Can we do a photo of that? Wait, put the leg up again. I'm gonna get it from my Instagram story. I have to. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you look amazing. Um, 
that's the one thing I have been doing, right, is, like, trying to, like, repair, like, really nice clothing and working with some companies doing, like, some hand repair, like, really tedious stuff and and yeah. trading for new clothes and, like, trying to downsize, getting ready to move. So, I mean, I'm going to walk out with some nice clothes at the end of the day. But, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you saw the Sarah Beth War that I started on Instagram for these. Oh, I didn't, but I just, I love her. I'm in hyper save mode just because because of the state of the world so i haven't been buying jewelry but her necklaces like that's going to be on a top list to get she's yeah. so talented she's so talented yeah and doing so much with um crafting the future we had like a really good talk and yeah but yeah she posted yeah. this and i was like sending it to people being like come on come on like because it was a bid and then i got oh, her to I make did... like three i took a <laughs> i took a page from your book because i saw you said i saw you post that and you were like I dare you to outbid me or something like that. And I just did that with the Baltimore Jewelry Center. <laughs> of course I got outbidded, which is also, damn it, because I don't have that much money. <laughs> so I was mm-hmm. like just setting myself up to lose it. Just, but I'd rather, yeah. Yeah, but then also like you can message the artist or like as another maker and worker and like there are other days. Yeah. And, oh know, yeah, I'm not concerned. I'm, there's a few pieces that I'm saving my pennies for that are like so expensive that like when I finally get the money or halfway there, I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just, so we're doing in school suspension. JV collective is our big photo Mm. shoot is tomorrow. Let me tell you a good piece. I just, what? Oh, COVID happened. I know. I know, but I wanted to, because it's, I was talking to Mallory about it and I was just like, I know. I told her, I told her what it was and she was like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, I've been wanting to do this piece. Um, but it, yeah. Timing just just didn't happen. Well, I have I've had my eye on this one piece because I don't know how you feel about this, but um, with Lonely Hearts Club, when I co-curated it, I didn't buy a piece from it and I kind of regretted it. But luckily, J.B. Jones is a queen and surprised me by purchasing the Georgina Trevino earrings that were in the show and sending them to me. And every time I look at that piece or those earrings, I think about that show I did and that experience and I really love it. And so I made this kind of packed with myself that moving forward doing any kind of curatorial things when I can buy a piece from it. So I'm buying such a an interesting conversations around ethics, but that show actually, I got really into David chat. And so then I, I got myself. <gasps> oh, got, have I, we talked about I, this? He's one of my, he, what? I got one. I have one now. I have a David chat. Oh, I, you do? Could, yeah, I do. What? Oh, um, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. one of my closest people. Yeah, yeah. no, he he's so adorable. Oh, you're gonna and... walk me over and see it. Oh, you got, got one of them. Little... Yep. Yeah. Uh, for listeners, if you can't see it, he just showed me a little brooch by my dearest, one of my dearest friends, David Chat. Who, if you don't know him, you need to know him because he's incredible. Um, yeah, mostly just... sculpture. He does glass, but he's been making contemporary jewelry, and Sienna Patty's been working with him, and it's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, total, total badass. It was just a whim and an Instagram message, <sighs> and I was like, "I do you have something that is like in my very small, small budget?" This was a lot. This is a while ago. This is pre pre COVID. But yeah, I think it's a really tricky conversation mm-hmm. about like curating and and owning work. And this is a conversation that we have like doing the craft degree that I've always had with writers is. Mm-hmm. Like in the art world, you don't write about what you own because it's ethics, but like 
in craft, like it's functional objects. And so, yeah. Like, wait, is there a conversation you... about purchasing pieces that you've curated into shows? Yes, like, what because are the, it, it means like it's a financial investment because you're supporting the artist. It means that you're biased. As long as you're not it asking means that for you're a curating discount. something for your because you're you have a financial investment then, and so when you get into like a bigger picture, um, like that's why like museum shows you can't like curating people's collections and stuff. The value goes up, and so the more you show work the more the value goes up which means you have an economic mm. investment in the work and so like especially in writing and in, in curating in larger platforms that's where it comes complicated yeah. but we don't it's such a small field right now and it's there if we weren't self-curating you know yeah. like it's kind of this it's an interesting conversation especially as i write more where people that comes up and it's like we'll name someone who really writes that doesn't also wear jewelry right now like yes. it's it's a little stickier and, and I, I think that's a, a something that needs to be panel discussed over and over and over again um, to find a, a healthier conversation around it. But that's I, I'm all about finding those healthy conversations these days. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear you, but I still like buying work. And if it's somebody I live- that's shipped it internationally, I'm going to buy it. And I obviously, how do you, how do you not like wearing curated show, but yeah, I just, I know, like, I understand, I totally value your input on that and the thought process behind it. But I also value the fact that I'm supporting an artist versus not. That's that's the thing is like, also as a young writer, like I, especially, and I've I've publicly stated it time and time again, like if you come from underserved communities, if you're um, black, indigenous, POC, queer, um, LGBTQI plus plus disabled. I will subsidize my work for you if you need something written. I will do it for a piece. I will mm-hmm. like it's like you need some knowledge. Like I will use it's a form of reparation. Um, yeah. You know when you when you write about people or you get make payments like what are you doing with that money? Um, mm-hmm. Do you or do you need work? Should you just be giving that money to something? So. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I'm saying is I think that system is also very broken and very yeah. white and colonized. And so when I speak or when I go places or do, you know, Instagram lives for Fulcrum, like I want to be wearing people's work so it gets seen, yeah. so it gets talked about. And, you know, I did the AJF live and everyone said, what are you wearing? And yeah. You know, really, really thinking about it, and I have my earrings on today. That just I like them. I was, yep. You heard? Oh, you you knew exactly what I was about to say. I was like, just like right now, where I'm looking at you, and you have Sarah Beth's necklace on, and then you have Maxie's earrings on. Mm-hmm, I see them. Um, uh-huh. Let's say hi to the listeners. I can. Yes. We just go right into it because it's so easy, <laughs> Matty. I'm here with Matt Lambert. Say hello, Matt. Hello. Matt wins the award for the most patient perceived value guest ever. This is our third time (laughs) recording this interview, Um, which is hilarious. But I've learned so much, which is you have to have a good pair of headphones that if you hear a crackle every time someone moves, that means that crackle is being recorded. (laughs) Um. I've also learned that you really need to have a Zoom going because if you can't see somebody while you're talking to them, it's like talking into the void, my friend. What do you think, Maddie? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, this has been um, this is another learning curve. But also, like you know, you you did the um, it's only fair. You, you were one of our new presenters for Fulcrum Project as well, and you're part of our grand experiment. So, um, yeah. But also, um, I feel like I've gotten to know you so much better. <laughs> you know, this we've had some serious quality time in the past couple of months. So we have. I feel good yeah. about that. Like you've um, seen quick... all phases of me stressed happy laid back <laughs> relaxed this one is going to be a lot more level of an interview because the residency yeah. is is kind you of do over. Seem chill. yeah so I'm, I'm in my chill month <laughs> oh i love it and i'm in hyper productive mode but um i'm pretty chill so maddie and i matt i well we've talked about this before i i call them maddie um because we've well, we become can, friends we can tackle for that one. Yeah. Well, oh, you know what, Maddie, tell everybody, let's start off. Let's get this rolling. Tell everybody your pronouns for me, please. Yes. Okay. So my name, my artist name is Matt Lambert. A lot of people, if you kind of know me socially, you hear Maddie. There's nothing wrong with either one. It's just in print. You put Matt Lambert down. Um, mm-hmm. My pronouns are they, them. I am trans non-binary identified body. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I sit. And I am white which is also very important, especially for the conversation we're going to have. Um, mm-hmm. I am white and do work within the academic system. Wonderful. Um, so Matt, Matty, Matt, was referring to the Fulcrum Project, which is going to be the focus of our conversation today. And I'm going to allow them to give the description of it because every time I try to, I'm like, I don't think I described that properly. Um and I feel like, you know, the residency is now over this year's. Um, so you probably have kind of zeroed in on your whole spiel about it as well. Do you want to give me the elevator pitch of what the Fulcrum Project is, please? Sure. Um, I feel like it's actually gotten bigger and harder now that the residency is <laughs> oh, over. Um, so the Fulcrum Project itself is a larger um, project that I've been thinking about my entire career, which is really centered around... Um, equanimity and decolonizing in people that work in especially in experimental areas of uh craft design and anything dealing with kind of body politic and so the first uh thing that came out of this is the fulcrum project residency and so the fulcrum project residency really comes out of the need of working with father shivarini um who is now um in grad school Tyler, so many things have changed since we started, Uh, but still based in Detroit. We both came out of Detroit and uh, with the premise of focusing on makers that work kind of in the craft and design areas that are underserved and have not really participated in formal academic um, education systems and really giving them autonomy. And so Fulcrum Project is privilege as a fulcrum. Uh, You use your privilege to leverage space for equanimity and equality Um, And so it involves having an unrestricted stipend uh, for the residents up front, which is just cash paid to them directly, and then they control the rest of the budget. So speaking to you now, I am a director of the project Mm -hmm. and the residency, but with them, um, Feather and I are facilitators. And so we just try and make happen whatever the residents are. And it's really putting the residents first, which after doing enough residency models, I Mm -hmm. realized that there really aren't that many. And then on top of that, we are really focused on the information that exists around making and not the actual process of making. Um, And that can be technical information. I mean, even people through the academies, right? Like, uh, 
CVs, bios that kind of really cut dry stuff, but also yeah. really looking at and bringing people in like you or bringing in, um, we had like Sarah Klugage, we had Jen Delos Reyes and incredible roster of people that mm-hmm. kind of wear so many hats. They're artists, they're curators, they're writers. Um, they're maybe they're making practices are really non-traditional yeah. um, people that work in academia, people that work independently to really give residents an idea of this is how the systems work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we, we think they work well, but so, you know, here it is. And then you can really choose to subvert or, you know what you're kind of walking into the room with. And so I think you really should know those systems so that you can you can play with them and you can mess them up or you can destroy them or choose not to be yeah. there. But it kind of gives them all a, a taste and a resource pool, um, each other as residents and then and with presenters to really build um, a community. Yeah. And we're going to impact a lot more of this within our discussion. Um, thank you. Because I feel like having even participated in Fulcrum, you just gave me more insight to everything behind your idea with this project. And so, Maddie, when I think of you, I think of an artist who has had a wide array of experiences. Um, and your education is... A lot. You have a lot of degrees. Um, Bananas. You guys, I've had two other interviews where we've talked a lot about Maddie's ex- past experiences. And as we all know, and I am a broken record about this, your socioeconomic background and your education really informs how you're going to navigate your career and your life. And so I always give insight to my guests. Now, I'm going to ask for the abridged version of Maddie Lambert's because they could be a three hour long interview (laughs) and believe me, Maddie Lambert is coming back to perceived value when we're going to discuss them in particular. But in, um, I really want to get to talking about the different types of residents you had in the presenters. So let's start with my favorite question. How many degrees do you have, Matt? (laughs) Um, well, this is working on, Eight. I'm going into eight. Going into eight. Going oh my into God. eight. I sometimes honestly forget sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, and then you reference the fact that you have done a lot of residencies. And with that, you've kind of gleaned this understanding of if you created a residency, how you would do it or what you would want out of it or what you weren't afforded within your experiences. And I feel like that, you know. Mm-hmm. informed the Fulcrum project 110%. Um, can you give me an idea, a rundown of the different types of residencies you've held? Sure. So um, backing up just a little bit to education, my formal okay. background is really into, is in theory, we won't cover like everything, but there is some art history yeah. and cultural studies and, and psychology and human sex. It all kind of focuses on um, body and body politic. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it, I'm the, the kind of typical crafts person that like, that kind of story of I fell into it and fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where that sits. So I'm really, my practice starts from theory to begin with. So a lot of residencies I've done um, suited that and not necessarily were, were hardcore making residencies. The The one that's really been the most impactful was I did Jaspis, which is the Swedish um, national kind of uh, granting foundation. And you get a studio in their offices and you're really invited, but it is, 
not really like a maker craft friendly residency because it's mm-hmm. three months time in a kind of a white box without tools. Um, so it's oh. a lot of time for reading and writing and looking and meeting. And that was very intimidating to go into that because, you know, in you, you're studying, you're always kind of thinking about more of the craft schools or these kinds of die hard making areas. And mm-hmm. I was thrown in as the, I was the, the first metalsmith jeweler in that history of that program and I was the only one and I was really in there with a lot of like video artists and sound and audio and and trying to explain what what you know adornment is and why it's yeah. relevant in, in um, today's world and and that really can I ask a question about it when you applied to get into it what do you propose with something like that like you applying to it you obviously knew you were going to propose some kind of idea of working you don't apply, actually. That was also kind of the scary thing is it's an oh, invite by someone okay. by someone irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. You just get invited. Okay. So you get one day you just get this letter that's like, hey, like, um, you know, you've been nominated and somebody in Sweden that kind of is in a, a position, you know, gallerists or museum directors and curators and people can, can kind of okay. nominate you. And then there's a panel review. Um, and this is kind of later on. Like I've already done some yeah. stuff, but this is the one that was just like, what am I doing? Um, had a lot of imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> and what that taught me, though, was the value of kind of this more intellectual conversation or a practical conversation that wasn't just about the making because I realized how insular a lot of making can be. Like you're kind of talking to each other, right? Like you're at a bench, mm-hmm. I'm at a bench there's a lot of givens. And so to be thrown in with people who maybe aren't um, equipped with the vocabulary that we use or the knowledge that we use really had to make me think about the bigger picture more and how to navigate these systems and really realizing that there is a language or dialect barrier sometimes between craft and especially thinking about adornment because that's my area. Um, and, and kind of the, the bigger museum art world and and how do we kind of meet. And so that's mm-hmm. probably the, the residency that really influenced me the most. Um, I've done other residencies. I've done the Adornment and Gender residency, which was a one-off that was between Praxis and Oslo, Norway. Um, mm-hmm. That Amita Wiggers and Ben Lingnell ran with Norwegian Craft. Um, I've done a lot of kind of, they're, they're way more on the kind of conceptual side of things. I Yeah. Um, Another reason why I went back and did a second master's. My first master's was from Cranbrook, but my second one is in craft theory, at Warren Wilson, which really yeah. I wanted to go back and really look at American craft or the relationship of American craft to um, westernized European craft. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of feel like I'm, I'm actually finding my way back as I'm moving to Europe. I'm working more in the U.S. Yeah. Um, which is which an is... interesting mm-hmm. Uh, Well, I think before we started recording also, we should give insight to that just in the sense of where you're at right now. I mean, physically, are you back at your sister's house? Is this what's going on here? No, I'm done done house sitting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am uh, back in Detroit right now. And November 1st, though, I do transition to being more full-time in Sweden and kind of commuting back to the States. Um, I will be doing a PhD between uh, Konsvak in Stockholm and uh, HDK Valland in Gothenburg. So it's a yeah. joint PhD. It's the first time they've run it. So I'm doing another kind of first experimental year 
I do love and admire your ability to just say, yeah, going to try this, going to do it. I mean, I feel as when we've spoken before about opportunities you've taken on or ideas you've implemented or projects, um, you definitely are not afraid to take a risk and just try something and kind of yeah but my motto in undergrad which is more nuanced to this but it was like never say no immediately unless it's heroin um <laughs> that kind of uh, i used to kind of have things kind of written around and and try yeah. to always keep my bench motivated and that is something that was posted now granted there are other things you should immediately say no to but that's kind well, of yeah. the mentality that i had was like unless i know for sure that it is extremely toxic um yeah. at least consider it at least yeah. think about it because if I'm uncomfortable or I'm anxious, maybe it's just because I need that growth. Say it one more time for me. I also have mine. My friend Lauren instilled it in me when I was at Penland, which is say yes until you can say no. But I really like yours. Say it again. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Don't immediately say no unless it's heroin. <laughs> okay. I do remember the first time I smoked pot and I told my dad, he was like, that's great. Did you enjoy it? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, if you ever try heroin, I'll kill you. And I was like, okay, daddy. Right. So. That was kind of, I mean, that's also our generation, I think. And like really thinking about that was like the big um, drug, but yes, there are other substances and things in the world. That yeah. You, you, you should know, say no kids. I can think of some big ones, you know, like you should okay, go, Yeah. we don't need to be murdering and pillaging, but, but um, that I kind of mentality is important. That. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And um, I think it's easy to talk about, but in but putting it into practice can be really hard. Um, I constantly say yes to things that make me really uncomfortable. And I and it doesn't always mean that you're going to kill it. Sometimes it's a little ugly, the turnout and that too, you have to kind of embrace. So but ugly is such a great thing. Like, I think that's mm -hmm. I mean, that was, I guess, even to pivoting to, to more fulcrum talk that fulcrum is one of those things where it was like, I called feather. Um, you know, we were really inspired by the center for crafts. Um, they had the, the $5,000 grants. And so we really wrote to that, but it's a lotto system mm -hmm. that you have to be pulled for, which we I believe still can be pulled for, for another session. Um, but that's really kind of the framework we used and we just jumped in and within like 48 hours, I had 90% of the speakers signed on presenters you know, and then the call came out like, you know, the next month. And then we had to like have it juried within three weeks. And then we were like there. And there is something that's so great about not being chained to systems and needing that kind of safety rope because that safety rope is also limiting your reach because you have to hang on to it. And so mm -hmm. we started off without having, you know, fulcrum emails or a website or it, because it, we wanted to let it organically form. We wanted to listen and respond to, who we are actually trying to help yeah rather than to make it just look like we're helping people we wanted to know like mm -hmm. what do residents need the application procedure to become a resident is here are these presenters we compiled ask them questions and we mm -hmm. gave them back to the presenters so that it was about what do you need where are you at um what tools and resources are going to actually benefit you and then also sitting down and, and brainstorming Feather and I or with certain presenters to say, like, what do we wish that we would have known that maybe we weren't thinking about, um, you know, either pre-bachelors um, or post-bachelors. There's no one that um, has gone past a bachelor's in the, in the um, residency as of now. And so really, really I... thinking about that, how do you how do you give them those tools but not 
as an option just to say, here are these things. Yeah. Think about them. And it's interesting too, because when we first had our first interview, which was like two months ago, you guys, um, I think I struggled with our conversation because I couldn't grasp what Fulcrum was, which is kind of a wonderful, beautiful place to be in, especially the way that you're speaking about the project now, which is technically described as a digital residency, correct? Because I've seen that on the internet. uh, Now, yes, but it's, that's the thing. And it's queer. And that's, I I come from a queer feminist um, uh, theoretical background. And, you know, Jose Esteban Munoz uh, in the book Cruising Utopia talks about queerness as always chasing the horizon. It's something that you can never be at because the second you think you're at it, there's something else to move towards. It's always a direction or a movement. And so that's really So you think of queerness beyond sexual presence? preference you think of it there are different things yes queerness theoretically has its own um there's its own kind of methodologies and approaches and and ways of thinking and so queerness is about can be applied to so many other things yes it is so much more than than talking about gender and sexuality Mm -hmm. um it's about you know breaking binaries and kind of stepping out of systems and and really um it's a different approach to, to looking and thinking about things and i think that it really challenges in the case of the fulcrum because it's about like, we can't always tell you what it is Mm -hmm. until you're kind of there. But when you're there and I'd be interested now that you've been a presenter, you kind of realize like, Oh, well, what about, or like all these other doors or thought processes start to open um, for residents, for facilitators, for presenters, where it's like for yourself or for what you could be teaching next or be talking about more or where Mm -hmm. things sit. And so I love that you can't pin it down. Yeah. I love that it, it, it it's kind of undefinable and slippery and uh, it does agitate certain people, but then certain other people just kind of accept that and go with it. And those, and gravitate those are the people towards we it even. Yeah. That kind of get it where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, that it is, and, and it is. is intimidating to just even tell a presenter like, well, what do you want to do? Yeah, it can be. <laughs> so let's roll let's rewind for just a moment. So Feather, who is lovely, I'm so happy to have been introduced to them through this experience as well, your cohort. Um, so you didn't get that grant, but I do love how you pivoted and we're like, well, we're just going to raise the money on our own. And you yeah. did, you alluded to this, but let's break that down too, because to be able to offer an experience Yes, you don't necessarily need funding, but if you are going to support the artists that are taking a part of it, which was important to you, and you and I share that very deeply, um, you need money, mm-hmm. clear and simple. So when you didn't get that, you proceeded with, how did you approach it? Did you just put it out there online and say, hey, we're running a fundraiser? GoFundMe? Did you send an email? Like, how did you get the ball rolling? So Feather and I agreed whether we got called even to apply for the grant or Mm -hmm. not, we would move forward because it started off calling presenters. So everything is based on a sliding scale of one to four, 100 to 400 or zero to 400, really. And asking people to think about their privilege and what they need versus what they want. And um, when you say the people, that's those who would be participating, think about the one and presenters. Scale. We had, I did ask oh. presenters as well, but I very strategically were talking to people that have actively been in these conversations or knew that they had um, 
some form of stability during these uncertain times that they mm-hmm. wouldn't need to take um, money. And that was a very upfront conversation that I've had with, with the presenters and they all were yeah. like, absolutely great. Um, in the future, we would hope that if we could bring in other people that work independently, we would be able to also, also say, do you want zero to $400 cash? Okay. No, not asking to, to work with us or however the model works. So we, we already had the presenters for the proposal. So we were like, well, we have to move forward because this list is so amazing and incredible. And I want to hear what they have to say and what they're going to do. So we built an Instagram and we made a couple of Google Docs with all of the information extensively on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we developed what we call a transparent budget, which means anybody that donates um, any dollar amount they want, you get a link to the budget so you can follow how it is spent. Um, oh. and, and see, so we're fully transparent because we are not a 501c3 and now say yet, um, mm-hmm. you're not a nonprofit. So I am running this through my LLC, which means I have to pay taxes. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that is another kind of glitch in the system of not coming from money and trying to start nonprofit actions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we just kind of pushed it in the universe and, um, Viviana over at Adornment Theory, who you've also had on. Um, mm-hmm. perceived value really was already on a presenter list. She has been talking to me about several other projects that we've, I've been having going on and we've kind of, you know, become, uh, acquainted better. And she gave us our kind of big push donation and she was like, here you go. And she gave us our first, um, substantial donation. And it was a kick in the pants where it's like, okay, now we have somebody actually counting on us. Yeah, And within 48 hours of just kind of spreading the word, um, which is a reason I love craft as well. Um, yeah, everybody kind of community. just shares and, and celebrates. We had $4,500 in 48 hours and our goal was 5,000. That's amazing. Can I ask how much you ended up getting for this first round of residents? It was just under 48, I want to say. Okay. okay. And I don't think you even need that much we're even seeing like that was kind of our dream big and the budget can roll over we've we've built this kind of whole system and framework um we can probably link it to this discussion somehow so people can see it because we want to be transparent we want to encourage people to also take on this model to say you know what money do you have and how do you how do you do this um, yeah with any of the resources you have and we could have done it for free but we really at least wanted to be all to offer eight residents up to $400 each. I like that. And so how many presenters did you end up having for the first residency? We had like under 10. No, it was like 14, 14. See, this is what happens when we talk when we're, when I'm on my like holiday break and my brain has officially broken. (laughs) No, it's okay. I also (laughs) ask people not to bring cheat sheets. So, and Um, then, um, and so none of the residents took pay, payment. Um, none of the presenters took payment. None of the presenters took payment. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. I thought so. Um, I didn't. So 14. I, I am said. right. 14. 14? Oh, wow. Yes. And you had eight residents, correct? Yes, we had eight residents. So we got you acquired had... two residents as respondents. So we invited two people that were from the community so our goal was originally to keep it in Michigan, keep it small first. We, we do mm-hmm. want to go to other areas and, and try other things, but we kept it really to Michigan first. Um, so 
and we do focus on um, uh, Black, Indigenous, POC, queer, and disabled um, individuals, people that are from underserved communities. Um, we mm-hmm. are really trying to be careful with our languages. Like we don't use the term minority. Uh, we try not to use teacher-student mentalities. It's about a joint joint learning. Um, so we invited two people to be respondents, okay. which means that they don't have to go through the application process. We do ask them to fill out an application, um, but they're guaranteed in, and in return, they have to offer um, written responses to every session, which gives us valuable feedback. Um, and I probably shouldn't ask who they were, but can I ask who you, they you were? You can actually ask who they are, um, mostly because uh, we advertised we, we celebrate everybody on our Instagram. We definitely yeah. posted about both of them after they agreed. Everything is done with the permission of our residents. Um, so we had uh, Nick Indigo Sislo. Mm-hmm. pronouncing your last name right, Nick. I'm sorry. Um, and Tatiana Stevens. And so okay. they provided Nick written fantastic. feedback. Nick is great. And these are people that mm-hmm. aren't like our friends. Like I know Nick from when I was doing like semi-antique rug restoration and we were like two ships passing. They were like essentially filling my position as I was leaving for that Swedish residency in mm-hmm. 2016. And we just had a couple conversations while, you know, stitching into rugs. And I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. person is thinking about these things and they've done some other kind of queer arts initiatives. And so it just made sense. They they were somebody that was already organizing and thinking. The other they six followed residents, up after the presentation I did too. It was I, a, a lot of your residents did. They were amazing. But they're self organizing. I know I, they're fantastic. They're the first group that I, I teach reading. They're the first group I don't teach reading. I teach theory, which involves reading. Um, <laughs> yeah. I hope everybody can read uh, by the time I get you. Um, I teach like <laughs> usually around like graduate level or upper bachelor's um, theory workshops, which involve reading. And the frustration that people show up and they don't read. This is the first group where like everybody has read and everybody comes prepared and has done their homework and has you know listened to your podcast beforehand or at least looked at someone's Instagram. Um, yeah, and it's so impressive. And they have self organized and they have their own chat groups and their own. Um, areas and arenas because they're still working they're, they're working on doing output now so the the presenter portion is really done but there's really not an end to the residency we say like once you're with us you're stuck with us and so they're yeah. busy producing and thinking about what to produce as output um mm-hmm. as well as there's an opportunity to work with um center for craft um so as well we had two of the correspondents mm-hmm. and then the other six applied and were chosen and yes. you what i loved is that you had somebody that was was the person that juried the residents also a presenter or were they just just only a juror? So Fulcrum in general will always be based on a pay it forward model. And so Mm -hmm. that means the person that you are turning to asking for work, um, you want to make sure it's going to benefit them. Or Mm -hmm. if you are doing something that has specific knowledge, if someone does not and they want to know, then they also have the ability to learn. So even writing the grant, Feather um, Mm -hmm. said, I don't really write grants. And like, I need to work on like, you know, my email correspondence and these things as I go into grad school. And so we wrote the grant together in a Google Doc and they got to see, they watched me essentially write it and they could ask questions. And so we had um, Qualisha Wood, who is at Cranbrook, who is... Um, a graduate student and so we were like what do you need when you're in grad school 
who doesn't want a paid juried job on their CV. Um, yeah. And so it's really thinking critically about that. Like who is going to benefit from having these things in the systems they operate in? And That's such a great to way to think of that. that. Yeah. Um, can I ask how much, uh, I think you said her pronoun was she, how much were they paid? I think, Ooh, Feather dealt with that, so I'd okay. have to pull up the, the exact. Was it the same kind of thing where you asked them how much no, they would No, it was need, a flat rate. I want to say it was yeah. it was between fifty and a hundred dollars. We did not have an extensive amount yeah. of applications, and it it was just one day, and it involved mm-hmm. Feather sat there really, and they did a mutual doc thing in which she Qualisha just looked at everything and said, "These are the acceptances. These are the um, yeah. these are the." Uh, until later, as we call them, we're not calling them rejections. Yeah. They're even filed. Like all the language in our docs, we try to keep that way as well. Where I mean, it's I, like, even when I said juried, I was like, oh, <laughs> is that like, oh, do we want to say that? It's tough. And so it's well, that we do use because that's, a, that's a CV me. line. That's okay. a CV line for somebody. Okay. So we say, like, yes, put put juror. Um, just like resident, like what mm-hmm. else are you going to put down? Like that benefits them. Like they were in a paid residency. Ooh, um, can I ask you one? I would love your insight on this. I sure. was brainstorming with somebody. What is another term for like finalist? Right? Because you want to give respect or homage to those who have applied to something. There's obviously one person that is going to get an award or receive the mm-hmm. highest whatever. Um, but giving a name to the other participants who still need to be recognized Mm-hmm. It's that's hard. A, it's a, yeah, that's a very hard one. I, we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> We're yeah. like, okay, well, they're finalists. <laughs> right? I think that uh, also depends on the language of, of the institution or the group that also is looking at things and like how do they speak yeah. or what is their, their mandate or the community they look at. I've but if seen... you think about it in the broader spectrum of anything, like yeah. runner, emerging artists, finalists, yeah. like future entrepreneurs, like everything just sounds I've seen like that. in consideration which also seems horrible because you should be considering oh. everybody oh that does not sound good at all I know right it sounds like <laughs> a weird greeting card thing like you, you've no. been considered uh the considerates oh yeah I, I think that See? whole system though of jurying though is also a thing of like a, a juror is it's an opinion and it's oh I know and that's the complicated thing and again part of fulcrum is explaining to residents too like these things are not um, sometimes not getting something or your absence from something also is important. Oh yeah. And, and sometimes it's, there are certain, you know, competitions and during things that, yeah, I apply for them, but I also say if I get into it, I don't think I may be doing it right because it's something that is like completely antithetical to what I'm doing. Like it's the opposite. And I use it as like a barometer. Um, yeah. And really thinking about those things, like certain things you don't want to be in because mm-hmm. your work shouldn't be universal. And I would be more concerned if you could get into everything because that yeah. means it's kind of neutral. And I talk to students about that. Cause I, you know, I obviously have been very fortunate to get some pretty wonderful positions, but damn it, it can be so arbitrary. You cannot get into something because it can come down to the fact that they just need a different racial or a different um, ratio of how someone claims their gender. Right. 
you know, like there's so, it can be that simple. Could it be something not even related to the pieces that you make or your theory or your work? Um, and so I'm always like, take it with a grain of salt, man, and just apply it over and over again. And it's like that. It's weird. Yeah, um, I always, I credit um, the jeweler, um, the Belgian jeweler, Linda Savinaw. She, for a while, I haven't seen it, but I also, I'm kind of on a social media break. Um, she used to always post herself getting an ice cream when she got rejected. And I thought that was always great. It was like treating yourself or indulging in something yeah. to kind of celebrate your, your rejections as well. And I think we need to have more of that. I think there needs to be more transparency where it's like, especially when you start off writing grants and competitions, you're, you're writing 10 or 20. And if you get one, um, it's like when I first started applying to PhDs, uh, Matt Smith was like, you know, even just getting to the finalist to get the interview is like a major milestone. And yeah. that can be after, you know, four or five years even of applying because everybody wants to be in these spaces and it, it's taste mm -hmm. and it's subjective to whoever is looking at it. Yeah, I know we should. Um, my therapist, I love her, uh, would always say, if you want to have a bad day, just get on social media because, you know, and this has been talked about so much more widely now, but I think even just two years ago, it wasn't acknowledged enough that of course, everybody's just posting their like best days, best moments. And, um, I think it's really important to talk about your failures or rejections or just, um, not even call it a failure, just, the moments where things didn't work out the way you had hoped necessarily. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. Back to the fulcrum project. <laughs> so we get the eight artists locked in. Um, and so let's talk about who they are. Also, I'm really curious to see, because this sounded like a really intense residency in terms of the amount of time, because it's digital. So I can't even imagine how many hours a day they were on Zoom. Um, and things don't always work out the way that you thought they were. So I'm curious to know if there were certain residents that kind of just were like, you know what, not for me. I don't think I want to be on Zoom eight hours a day. Right. Well, yeah. again, that goes to this kind of uncertainty where we didn't have a schedule until mm. we had our residents. And then we asked, what are your schedules and what do you want to do? And we were like, do you want to fit this in a month? Do you want to stretch it into two months? And really, there was a few people that were going to start school. And they were like, my schedule is going to get chaotic. And um, so they chose to do it all in August. And so we did mm -hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Um, and we did, each presenter was asked to do an hour. And so we did uh, four-hour blocks and the original idea being that it was going to be kind of an hour on an hour to kind of spill over and have a break and then to get back on. Mm -hmm. um, everybody was so engaged that they ultimately went for four hours mm -hmm. with a kind of a 10 minute break in between. But that was something that they kind of really initiated. And we did talk about where after a while they're like, oh, maybe we we bit off more than we can chew. But also they they did realize like we asked for it to be this way. Yeah. Um, and they also asked that not all three days were, were double sessions. So we kind of had like one day a week, it was one session. And then um, two days a week, we did, we did double sessions. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they really, again, took the reins on it. And we just facilitated that. And then we sat out an open calendar to the presenters. And we knew who had to, who were working with institutions that were going to pick up. And so we gave them 72 hours priority, because um, we asked everybody, like, do you need 
to, to kind of get in here quickly because you have to go teach or um, mm-hmm. be an administrator and, and, you know, your head is going to kind of spin off. I bless everybody who is teaching right now in the world um, yeah. or, or who is working in institutions that have to be open. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we kind of gave them 72 hours advance notice, let them sign up, and then we let everybody else kind of fill in. And that that's how we built the schedule. Again, not knowing, mm-hmm. just opened it up, let it happen. Um, we had some people that, that did it while they were working. I think there were a few people at times where they're like, maybe this isn't for me, or it seemed a little bit intimidating. Uh, but those are all important things for us to learn from as well. And really asking the residents to talk about like, how are you feeling? And, and really realizing how much more work there is to be done when there are people that want to share about themselves even. And they're like, I'm going to overshare. And I'm like, if this is the way you're thinking or feeling, it's not oversharing when you're in a residency about yourself. Like, yeah. But really mm-hmm. realizing how kind of ingrained or indoctrinated people are um, who do come from underserved communities and, and are already having the thoughts before they speak that like, I shouldn't put myself um, first or I shouldn't prioritize my needs. And so Feather and I have to really think about like how do we create systems and language further before the residencies even start going into the future to really say like this is your space like safe space is always subjective but like this is your space and you can do and facilitate with it how you want and um, you know we've tried different things too like also Feather and I would just get off the call with the presenters and let the presenters and residents have a talk and you know, give them their time and let them do what they need to do. Um, every residency will be different though, because it's going to be formed that way. So again, it's that kind of queerness yeah. that, that chasing the horizon of like, we're just building the scaffolding around it. We just want to be equipped to host our residents. And also not all of our residents were actually makers this time. We did have somebody that was more in grant writing and came from a nonprofit studying background that said, Hey, I want to focus on, the people that you're working with and I want to learn the, the craft side of things so that I can be a better grant writer and um, facilitator for people and work with them. And, and that I think also was a valuable added conversation because it was Ooh, someone yeah. coming to the table from a different angle. Um, I like that a lot. That's part of the discussion group now. So they have somebody that yeah. has that and they, they meet and talk and they're resources for each other. Yeah. They're connected. Um, can you give me insight to a few of the presenters? Is there any that kind of stick out in your mind that you felt um, their session was especially, I don't know. I don't know how to uh, describe that's it. Like, that's like the impossible. Like, went like, off pick the your chain. favorite, pick your favorite child. Picking, I imagine it's that hard. We're not um, picking favorites if you're listening, but there's got to uh, be some you want to talk about. I'm interested in like, what does Shannon Stratton talk about? right and it's like it, everybody has their kind of niche one um <laughs> i can really clause like other than um tyana Bowie, who feather works with uh closely um mm-hmm. in on different levels and as an assistant at times um i have worked with all the other presenters previously they've either like shannon stratton i met as a she was a curate uh theoretical fellow, a critical studies fellow at Cranbrook. And then she was at the Warren Wilson program. I've met a lot of people through the Warren Wilson program or from conferences or. Okay. Um, wait a minute. Let's just dive in. 
say each presenter and yeah. what they do. Let's just lay <laughs> it on of, me. Right. It's That's a podcast. Like we the, can do whatever the, we want. The difficulty of it uh, all. Um, but don't so you go had, into like totally what they did, but no. let's get the rundown. We can of who kind they of more are. touch on maybe what they, what they yeah. really covered. So I'm, I'm just going to open the Instagram to be honest with people because I cannot, <laughs> I am on a break and this is my first time opening Instagram in a long time. So I'm just going to go in order of the Instagram postings okay, so that nobody it. can be mad at me, um, not alphabetized or anything. So, um, Qualisha Wood was our juror, as I said before, and she, um, centered around uh black women in her work and we had no, no say in the dream process so everybody kind of came to us and then presenter wise we had um sarah klugage who works in a super interesting intersection of uh wikipedia working with women in red um kind of food and also is an editor for dilettante army and so has a really interesting practice and was really talking about working in kind of niche, but maybe not centralized areas of craft. Um, Angelique, I'm so sorry, Angelique, if I mispronounced your last name, mm-hmm. uh, Viscarando Laboy, who is uh, the uh, assistant curator. Yes, I'm assistant loving curator these faces. At, he... at Mad Museum. <laughs> it, well, it's just like, I don't want to mess up the formal title. I know she's, <laughs> she's curating at Mad, but it's like the official title is. Uh, assistant yeah, curator yeah. at MAD, but I know her through being a curatorial fellow at Center for Craft. So we met um, Lauren Kalman and I are co-fellows. And we met, she's one of the other fellows and we had a lot of productive conversations. So she was talking about like, what does it mean to be POC and working um, to curate and, and to look at, what does it mean to look at work, judge work, jury work, probably a great person for you to talk to about these kind of terminologies of finalists. And she also manages the Burke mm-hmm. Prize. So. I mean, I like her. I, I went accidentally. Well, I showed up to a dinner party. I didn't know she was going to be there. So adore her. Um, Best way to meet some chocolate people. cake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we had Andres Payan Estrada, um, who is out of California, um, but originally is from Mexico. Uh, and they are at Craft Contemporary, but they also teach and they're an artist. And they did a great kind of home studio visit of showing us their work, but then talking about... Um, their work at craft contemporary is really community based and they're really in kind of the education community interaction. And so Mm -hmm. what does it mean to, to work with people in the community around a museum Um, and gave us some great bell hooks readings. Like all, a lot of the residents were really into bell hooks, which was amazing to see because um, we're based in in love as a practice of freedom ourselves and believing that um, there are ways to have productive conversations around difficult things. Um, Heather K. Powers, uh, who I met through the Warren Wilson program. She is currently part of the graduating class, the second class. So she was a year under me. Um, but she came from like the professional world of like textile and rug manufacturing, and then also works with Indigo and, and is also a professional organizer. And so really talked about studio mm-hmm. spaces and organizing and how to think about space um, and what that means. And that's what a lot of her research now focuses on. We had uh, Jen De Los Reyes uh, out of Chicago, um, writer, activist, critical thinker. Um, she, she does so many things, but I, I greatly appreciate her. And she really um, dismantled. We, we had somebody come in. We had Tiana come in and, and talk about um, bios and, and CVs and things. And she kind of came in and was like, throw that all out and do this. And, and really boiling down and essentializing things to the self and, and getting down, I believe that all she does is really out of concern of self-care. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so she was fantastic to have. Uh, Lauren Kalman, um, formerly mm. one of my teachers, uh, great friend, co-fellow. Um, she's written on my work. We're so kind of intertwined uh, with each other. Um, our, our work crosses so many paths. Um, great person to bounce ideas off of and work with and so much respect for her. Um, she teaches foundations and, and works a lot with fate. Um, she talked about grants and residency opportunities, how to navigate those, um, failure being very, very key. Um, Tiana Bowie came in. Mm-hmm. She kicked us off. The, the one presenter we asked to um, be first. She um, teaches at CCS in printmaking. Um and she gave kind of what she would normally do with incoming bachelors and really giving an overview of like, these are the things you should be thinking about, um, which really allowed the other presenters to kind of pull off of her presentation and really deep dive into some of these other areas. Um, but she, she gave a really great intro um, that was intimidating for some because it's a lot to think about. Like when you think about when you started your bachelors and all the things you needed to know. Um, Namita Gupta Wiggers, um, who I know mm-hmm. on so many levels as well. Um, I'm a part of the Gender and Adornment project that her and Ben Lingnell run. Um, we've crossed paths. I did the residency in Norway, which I previously mentioned, uh, which mm-hmm. was kind of focused on that project. And also, she was my director for the Warren Wilson program. Um, and she, so she's edited my work. She's seen my work. We've we've talked and pushed and yelled and laughed a lot together <laughs> um she yeah. really focused though on, on critical craft and and what that mm-hmm. means in building community and spaces and and then really got into nitty-gritty about publishing and bookmaking oh. because we did have a a resident um mika who was doing a lot of graphic work and layouts for books and so it really kind yeah. of went in that way and talking about um, the lack of funding and resources and money and difficulty in academic publishing okay uh, which was very surprising. Um, we're always surprised because the, the conversation. I like how that goes, just yeah, it meandered and that's organically. What they ended up yeah. yeah, people were like, lovely. "Oh my gosh, I, have, I don't know what to sign up for." I was like, "Just trust me. Talk for fifteen minutes about something, and it's just gonna go." We told everybody, presenters included, bring snacks, like mm-hmm. make yourself a cup of coffee or tea, bring a snack. Um, that's how laid back this should be. Um, we had Sarah Rachel Brown. <laughs> mm, I've heard of perceived her. value yeah she's all right um <laughs> kind of you kind of kind of came on uh after we started talking about perceived value and you got really excited mm-hmm. um to jump on board and we are so thrilled to have you as well uh, thank you possibly the residents will be doing some work with podcasting yeah uh, ours is going to be a slow burn our collaboration yeah so I think mm-hmm. all of these are slow it's always just running to horizons and um, you know, after the the residents need to kind of let the let the dust in. settle and absorb, and um, and they're going to jump right back in. Um, also able to kind of you know cross pollinate presenters with you of other um, presenters who want to get involved with podcasting. So that's been a great mm-hmm. um, thing for me to see is really hearing other presenters. Like, I want to meet this person and being able to. It's an you know an excuse or yeah a, a you introduced ground. me to heather via email yeah yeah mm-hmm. who wanted more yeah. info on podcasts and um just couldn't make the session um viviana langhoff um yeah. supporter extraordinaire um woman of color mm-hmm. that owns her own jewelry business uh, makes her own jewelry advocate on so many levels 
um, and so level-headed. I hope one day I can be that level. <laughs> she's a she's a powerhouse, yes. y'all. And, and no no words minced there. Like when she feels a certain way, she just she calls it out, and it's incredible. And I have so much respect for her. Um, she gave a dirty, nitty gritty finance talk. Um, mm-hmm. I believe we touched on that with New York Joy Week, so I believe that conversation is still posted. If anybody wants to check that out, and oh, on their IG on live. That. Mm-hmm. On their IG live, we did a session together. Um, she put me in check, talking about what I need to do <laughs> financially. <laughs> really good, re- like very reasonable and very like she yeah. had student debt. She had it, and and she talked. I believe she touches on it in um, her talk with in you our as interview well. as well. Yeah, and um, and I think she inspired me to, to get a budgeting app after our conversation. Mm-hmm. I got that budgeting app, Viviana. Yes, she she budgeting. taught me, Viviana. I'm still working towards the Roth IRA. Um, <laughs> uh, we had Shannon Stratton, um, incredible, has worn so many hats. Started three walls in Chicago. Um, like I said before, met her as a critical studies fellow at Cranbrook. She um, was at the John Michael Kohler Arts Center as an interim uh, curator director's position. Um, taught at the Warren Wilson program and then now is kind of the director over at Oxbow um, mm-hmm. on the west coast of Michigan. So really talking about all that and coming from a making background, but not really making anymore. And what does that feel like when you you know walk in studios and you've been a maker, but now you're, you're directing and um, kind of really opened up on what covid is doing and what Ugh. that looks like and how do we Sad i missed that one Ugh. um yes and she's one of those people that you can just like off the cuff you know do an amazing um yeah talk and that's a lot of people it's kind of like they realized when they got in the room they're like oh the, the residents really drove this they had their their um their questions ready mm. um Adrian Dalton, editor over at Metalsmith Magazine. Um, I know mm-hmm. her um, as she is my editor because I still currently write um, for the magazine as well as um, doing a lot of committee work over at Snag at the moment. So um, she came in and talked about writing, writing for yourself, writing for public um, objects. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was very helpful. Uh, Gwen Ruckenbrud-Smith, who I know from being the former um, executive director over at Snag, um, she came in and really talked about, um, she's worn so many hats as well. She's, she's got yeah. such a brain for like economy and representation of artists. And she did a, like an ask me anything thing. She's, she's got a vast knowledge of what is it like to do craft fairs and what does the economy look like and what the percentages look like in writing and talking and organizing and really had a, um, kind of a, here's my, here's what I've done and just ask me and she got such a, a vast array of questions um thrown at her we had lisa Weinbaum, uh who is also based out of chicago a uh, full-time educator talked about what does it mean to be tenured and kind of the head of departments um she works uh in the fiber art history arenas um she's also the editor of um a textile journal mm-hmm. as well and so what does it mean to be an activist uh and to be in solidarity while also having tenure in institution. Very interesting conversation to, to be had there, especially part mm-hmm. of a, a privileged institution such as SAIC. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's it. Lot. That's all you had. <laughs> Jesus. 
<laughs> I mean, I can only imagine, um, you know, you get kind of, no matter how amazing an experience can be, I, you can get burnt out. I think back on taking classes like enameling with Arthur Hash, or, you know, um, I was in Raisa Bump's class. Like I took some really amazing workshops with some artists that I probably won't have many opportunities to study with again. And sometimes I just was like barely present because I was so saturated. Um, it'd be really interesting. Did you get much feedback from the residents in terms of them feeling oversaturated or how they feel moving forward, structuring this? They were swimming in it. They, it was actually They're amazing. There's oh. a few of them that were, yeah. Um, we had one resident, Noah, who's just Noah, who's just really brilliant at like oh, weaving. Noah's really nice. Weaving in other presenters and kind of recapping it for people, and and other people kind of jumped on board when they started doing that, and and really saying, oh, like that makes me think of you know the past two presenters and like this meets, and I think because it was so fresh, it allowed them really to to do that in a very abstract way, where sometimes. At first, you're like, how does that make sense? And then you were like, oh, wait, like maybe it does. Or maybe there's this kind of connection that I wasn't thinking of. And I, I think it was a good thing that um, it was kind of just the right amount of balance. Like Monday, Wednesday, Friday mm-hmm. um, was good. And we also did some chill sashes where like if we didn't have a date, uh, a meeting that day, like Feather and I would just be on to just be on. And like people would be kind of making yeah. or stitching or or just to talk or people would end up staying online for another hour to two hours, sometimes with the presenter, sometimes with the facilitators and, and just kind of unpack things. And I think that that's the important part is giving space and opportunity to, to unpack and to really think about what's going on. We will do follow-ups formally. We've, we've given them some time and space and we'll ask people to either do meetings with us or to provide written feedback um, which we will condense and, and produce a public document as well so people can see what that's like. Um, also, the Center for Craft has, has generously um, been working with us to develop some, some mini programming that um, offers more funding and to really consider um, this demographic of makers for them and this community mm-hmm. of makers for them. Uh, so they have that on their plate as well as working with you with, with perceived value. Um, yeah to see what they do so there's still budget there for them to to play with they some people have paid presenters for extra one-on-ones as well to recap where like if they feel oversaturated Mm -hmm. now they're like oh i want to go back and talk to so and so because i'm thinking about this or um we've had a few kind of group consensus presenters where they're like oh um there just wasn't enough time we wanted to go in this direction can we bring them back can we pay for them um and we, we do pay the presenters for sure. They have to budget that out. It is talking about how valuable also y'all as presenters time is and um, yeah. reciprocity and presenters have given their time now. And so how do you um, repay that? How do you repay that? Let's talk back? about this budget. So they have a that budget mm-hmm. and okay. So it was between one to 400 per resident. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, do you feel that it played out in this way that each individual had approximately four hundred dollars and they could allocate that however they felt? No, they like, get that in cash. Mean? So we oh, say so they just get yeah, that. Yeah, that's their payment. We paid them up front. 
And that's also a very okay. scary thing, right? Like, we're like, we don't know if you're going to show up. We don't know you. But, like, here is between zero and $400. So, And how did you determine the number that you gave them? They gave that to us. So we had a conversation mm. saying, think about your privileges. Think about your needs. Whatever you don't take goes to the group. So what do you need to support yourself? Or what is what is sustainability look like for you? And then they sent us a number, zero, one, two, three, or 4, privately. Um, yeah. and we allocated that, that money. So we do not break it apart. No one else knows besides Feather and I who took mm-hmm. what and how much. It surprisingly worked out in a very beautiful way, um, which we're super thrilled, and we just sent them that money. We, you know, cash after venmo people and said, here you go. And I then sent them and said, this is the rest mm-hmm. of your budget. What do you want to do with it? I would have... Okay, my only question about that is, and I've brought this up when we've talked before, when asking somebody what they need, sometimes there's shame in having to admit what you actually need. Mm-hmm. How did you approach that conversation? Because you are putting them in the position to say what they want, but how are they supposed to actually determine that in a way that doesn't make them feel bad for taking advantage of it? Right. Um. I think part of the diffusion of that is when you have a bunch of um, underserved bodies in yeah. one space, that conversation is a little bit different because there's mo- mm. kind of more of an understanding of what need is or what hardship is or necessity. Mm. And we also said, you know, hey, if you do- take out less and you realize like something happens down the way, you can just send the facilitators an email and say, I really need you know, I took out two, I need another 200. Like I really do. Um, and that, that was an option during the residency if that, that needed. And the group would have to work with that. And these are real life things that happen in real life. And yeah. And we, Feather and I are completely transparent with them. We did not take any pay as well. Um, Mm -hmm. that's the least of our concern. Well, especially while we're both in school we're we're sustained. Um, but really just having those their, their conversations and being honest and just saying, this is what this yeah. looks like. And this is what it looks like on our end. And what does it look like on your end and, and checking in and um, th- that, you know, and then the residents decide like, do you want to do gifts for presenters? Do you want to pay for one-on-ones? Like, what does that all look like? Do you want to pay forward mm-hmm. some of that money? Um, so whatever was left over after the residents submitted what they felt they needed, that went into a, a like a pool of budget yeah. that everyone as a group got to decide how that right. was allocated and used. I do yes. like this. I so I, could, I mean my they... only comment is like that one step that is like ah that's hard, but I get it and I do value the way that you approach that as right. well. Because um, that's that's the thing of it is a smaller budget and we we tested that model because we want other people to kind of replicate this as well and it yeah. it does involve a lot of trust on and it's scary and Feather and I am so happy I did it with somebody else I'd always recommend doing it with somebody else we split yeah. the work I really handled the presenter side of organizing and Feather really handled the organizing of residents and so. Mm-hmm it made it easier to deal with everything, but also we could call each other and both of us kind of oscillated and who was going to freak out or who was going to be like, what are we doing? Or, um, yeah. are we going to fail or, 
just the incredible Did you eat of, today? of frustration or, or trust and, and just really feeling taking things personal when you can't take things personal or, um, mm-hmm. you know, like really washing out the ingrained colonialism and racism that is in our systems from being in academia of like even like attendance or tardiness or uh just the structural things that you don't even think about yeah 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 that like over talking or butting in or trying to like wanting to control and then having to like you know text each other to be like hey like let's talk and like recap and and that has pushed feather and i in a really beautiful and productive way and it is scary and it's it is painful and it is anxiety ridden but um if we don't do it like who who else is gonna be doing it or uh, just do it, make an example for others, yeah. and hope. And that's that why we're making everything public. The whole the whole process yeah. is very public, so that which is very vulnerable of us and very scary and very raw um, to do. But also, yeah. we call it a grand experiment. We call everybody that's worked with us family members for a reason. Um, we'd rather get criticism and feedback from our family that knows us versus someone from the outside going like, "This is stupid," or like. Yeah. What what you get in the comments? <laughs> the comments, Audrey. Okay, you just said family, which was leading to my next question because I'm so interested. Um, even in the hour that I had with your residence as a presenter, I picked up on dynamics within the group and kind of this. Um, what was? I mean, you do become a family when you share. Anytime I've had a residency experience or anything like that. Um you get to know people or you're forced. I mean, it's not always pretty. I have lived with people I could not stand during a residency, but you have to live with them. You have been chosen for this opportunity and you have to coexist and make it work. Um, How was the dynamic with everybody? It seemed when I was in the group with the individuals that I interacted with the most, that everyone had this really lovely dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you speak to that? Yeah, you, you came in um more towards like the middle or or back half ish area so they really had kind of found their groove like we had certain residents Mm -hmm. that like didn't really want to speak and like they were more comfortable typing their questions and we had people that kind of checked in on each other or we kind of fell into a flow that allowed Mm -hmm. people to kind of balance out or care for each other and and really check in and and we really did luck out with the group that we did for the first residency, there was really no kind of mega riffs. Um, I, th- I think that comes through like with the way that it, the foundation of the, of the way the residency works though, is, you know, you do have to read bell hooks, love is a practice of freedom or an excerpt. Like it's like two paragraphs. It's not a lot. And we sent it all to the presenters as well. And, and really saying like, oh, if I you're not that. on board with this, then like, this is not for you. And Mm -hmm. Feather and I were, we talked about, do we make plans for when stuff goes bad? And our decision was no, we don't, because why would we invite that into the room? Why would we already have an expectation? Because I was, you know, I was listening to something around, um, you know, Matthew Boyer Chapman on Canada's drag race about how like, he's such a mean judge. And kind of the idea that like, when you're expecting it, you're always looking for it. And so we just decided we're not going to, 
we're not going to even think about what penalties are or what chastising looks like or controlling that. Like we're going to have to deal with it if it comes up and we're going to do it with the residents. And that's going to be through group conversation to say, whoa, what just happened and why? Mm -hmm. And that can be through one-on-ones or through, you know, people that were affected by it or who instigated it or as a group. But we're facilitators. We're not directors with the residents. That's not our job. Our job is to facilitate the healthy conversation to say, what is happening? Let's reflect on it. But um, yeah, we we just didn't, we didn't build those systems in because again, that's such a controlling thing. And I mean, you think about like, if you stay with somebody in residency, right? Like you have to figure out how to work with that. Like you, that's on you Mm -hmm. versus someone stepping in going like conflict resolution (laughs) um, sometimes makes it worse. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So again, it's really just, it's scary because we're giving so much, um, I don't want to call it power, but so much kind of initiative or so much capability to the residents to really say, here you go um, Mm -hmm. and and work with us. And and that is unusual. And I, I hope more residencies or more educating situations really think about that. Because, I mean, even just having mm. unrestricted stipends are so, un, like, invaluable, like, to not have to say, this is what I spent my money on. Because sometimes you need to keep your lights on. Sometimes you need to fix your car. Yeah. And and defining practice and defining craft and design yeah. and art and what it is and is not is not, we're not interested in that. We're interested in supporting people to figure out for themselves what that means for them. So, you know, my intent or my instinct is to say, so was do you think the Fulcrum Project's first year was successful? But that's not a thing because that's not the right question to answer because you're not thinking of it like that. I'm learning. I'm here with yeah. you. I, I was you. like, yes, glowing, glowing, smiling moment. Um, um, but I let me re, let me phrase it like this. What is your intention moving forward? And do you feel that some of your intentions with this first round of residents were met? Yes. And more, I think that Mm -hmm. Feather and I both shared a, like, we're just going to do this. It was like a ripping bandaid, you know, kind of metaphorical thing. Like we're just going to keep going. Um, It's weird because we used to talk every day during the residency. And now that they're, um, in their MFA program. Like it's weird. We, we talk once a week and it's like, Oh my gosh, I miss you. Um, <laughs> but really like we're processing it too. Cause it's, it's been s- way better than I could have ever expected. And I think feather shares that sentiment mm-hmm. of um, we want to push more. It gives us um, maybe more confidence to be even more open and be even more vulnerable and really kind of consider um how we can do that moving forward. And we always say the second that we're comfortable doing something, we should think about why we're doing it. The moment that it becomes a routine, we really need to um, kind of self-introspect and talk with each other and say, why are we doing this? Do we need to be doing this? Um, Should we be doing it differently? We are currently in the process. um, Luckily, there's some amazing presenters. Shout out to Viviana and Gwen. Uh, especially that are have given us some input on what does it mean to be physically sponsored um, towards becoming a 501c3. Um, 
as a nonprofit to be able to collect funds and not have to pay taxes on them to be able to do tax write-offs because we have a few people that are interested in, in larger donations. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. that's where we're at, but we're, we're not in a big rush. We're not like running full steam. Our goal is we're, we're also speaking with people in different areas about what their needs are. Um, the premise always kind of being it's about interacting within, within the U S but like, is that someone from out of the U S wanting to interact within or, a certain demographic or area. And we've just been kind of chatting with people and having some calls with people who are like, I wish I could have had one or you should bring it here. Or what about this group of people? And um, does it always have to be mm-hmm. this kind of residency? Can it be like a mini seminar? Can it be a digital symposium? Can it be like, we're not committed always to this format. And so we really want to find two to three places yeah. over the next two years to really think about it. And they have to work with us because we're not familiar with, those areas like you know we had somebody that was like you should do uh you know on the mexican border with southwest and it's like yes but also feather and i don't have that knowledge so who's going to be our contact person there who's going to become the third facilitator Uh, what investment do you have you can't just say like do this bring your money bring your labor like that's kind of the mentality with like nonprofits and funding is someone says like you know come here do this you do it and then you leave and we're not interested in that either. We're interested yeah. in what are you going to invest in us? What can we help you with? Um, what can we do together to build a more sustainable and open community? Because the numbers are already out there that we all, I mean, if we don't already all get by now that like diversity is sustainability and, and opening mm-hmm. fields and cross pollinating and making connections is a healthier way of doing things. And so that's the, it, that's our givens and we're just running with it. And so we want people just that have crazy ideas, not, I'm trying to remove crazy from the vocabulary, sorry, that have mm-hmm. interesting or off the wall ideas, um, pitch them, message us, say, hey, what about this? Have you thought about that? Um, who knows? Like we've had people that when they were yeah. applying as residents to say like, I live in, you know, Australia or whatever. Can I, can I apply? And we're like, well, you should like we just so we have it on file and you go in the until next time pile for sure. But we have, we can see how you're thinking too. And that's why we encouraged people. Yeah. But that's where we're at. We're, and it doesn't seem like you're, it doesn't seem like you're going to be set to any given timeline either, which I kind of like that right? Are you? Is yeah, your no. goal to like, mm-hmm. no, this- our goal yeah, is okay. not to say like so. <laughs> every August we're going to do this. Um, yeah. And I think that's the beauty of starting up during COVID. That's like a silver lining within COVID is really learning how to be that flexible and, mm-hmm. and pivoting extremely quickly. Like I loved talking to people uh, mid residency where they were like, when does your residency start? And I'm like, we're almost done. And like the looks on their faces and it's like, yeah. This, get in, get out. We don't have time to sit around and wait. Um, there are so many metaphors about, you know, put up or shut up, this type of mentality. And that was true for us, was just take this first opportunity, run, and now we're sifting through and now we're taking the time to critically think about and, um, like, do we want a website now? Do we want at Fulcrum emails now? Um how do we, what is our priorities beyond um, residents and building this type of knowledge? 
I really appreciate how you're going all in in some aspects and then other aspects that you think that most people kind of, you know, lay the groundwork for like, oh, well, we have to have an official email first before we can do anything. You're like, maybe we'll get that next year. I love it. I love that. Um, Patty. I mean, the frustrating thing with that was really. We've done so well. I know you're frozen for me too. Uh, Do I have you back? Can you hear me? Wait, I heard you. You're back? I hear you again. You're back. I'm back. I can back. see you. We're back. You. Yeah, you're fro- small glitch. I can see you. I, I think hear that's you again. A, I think we... So also we always built... We've been building Fulcrum also by, by... We would never... Not publicly, but like really writing down things, groups, associations, people, and figuring out how do we write or put language for these aspects and not for these others and using really specific examples. And I think that is a, a, if anyone that wants to do this type of stuff, I would say is very productive is if you're, especially if you're working in a team to say, how do we not include this and be very specific? Like, is it this part of this organization we don't like, how do we build around that to prevent that from happening? Or it's for this type of artist, but absolutely not for this. So like, how do we put that in language? to say like it isn't for somebody Mm -hmm. that has state or national level funding like is that is that the key for these these people that we think are already have a career um and so that's really what we've done and and that's where that email idea and these other things come from is covid really showed a surge of instagram and digital entities and these websites and like they haven't done anything, but now they exist. And we were like, well, what do you even do? You have these emails and you have this fancy language and this great logo, but like, I still don't know what you do. And we wanted to answer the question of what are we doing before we build bells and whistles around it to represent it? Because that goes back to this conversation of fitting a format. We don't want to have a mission statement to fit that mold of Mm -hmm. what's required before we actually have figured it out. We don't want to just fill in jargon um, to appease a system. We want to think about like, how do we work within these systems, the premise of Fulcrum to either subvert them or use them for our benefit. And that's why it's been super critical to not, um, it's like when you're a kid, you know, and you play office or bank or whatever, and you have those ideas of like the preset things our goal was like, okay, if we're going to play nonprofit, like what are the things that like you think you need? And then let's not do any of that first. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And I also like how you, that's a really great way to describe it too, because when you're younger and you're playing house, there's like certain things that you do. You're like, this is what it means to play house. And you're like, well, that was me washing dishes and making dinner for my husband, which, um, not gonna happen my babe (laughs) isn't it funny looking back and like i remember being like excited to get the mail and like to have bills and like all this stuff and then you're like wow that perception of that like i to go back to be that innocent sometimes would be nice um but i think that that is it's it's it is a naivete is probably what it is it's looking at something kind of naively and what those expectations are and i think setting that premise was very healthy for us to like that way we weren't trying to force what we were doing into the mold we literally were already Mm. to go into like a mold making craft mentality like we were building the actual model to make the mold around versus uh trying to fit somebody else's mold Uh, 
and that will be interesting to oh, see. Like, I love how that. Does that. How <laughs> does that transition to a? I'm really big in my writing to metaphors. If anyone reads any of my writing, I'm, I'm a sucker for a me. lot of metaphor. Just so many good quotes coming out of your mouth for my social media or <laughs> website of the podcast. Just keep them yeah. coming. I'll be pulling Craft left and right. Craft is just rich for days. Craft is just rich with metaphor. But that, uh, that is that is what it is. It'll be interesting to see how we have to shape it into um, to appease, you know, 501c3 or fiscal sponsorship is a legal thing. And so we're going to have oh, to fit yeah. that mold. That's going to be your big challenge. But we have creatives that have done it before us. And so I'm, yeah. uh, you know, Feather's always horrified. I always call it our pre-board. Like it's our go-to people. It's our people that we can call on. And we're very blessed have worked with y'all and y'all have valuable assets and resources and we hope we can always return the favor um Mm -hmm. and and they understand now like there are people um, that have done the done the presentations and they get what we need so as we wrap up um maddie i love when i think of you i think of reading um <laughs> and books <laughs> and your backdrop is books um books. this is gonna be such a loaded question and you get mm, five minutes tops okay and i'm cutting you not off not fair but yeah well we're wrapping up and that's what means wrap wrapping up means coming to an end but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna ask can you give mm, okay give one to three recommended books (laughs) just three things that if you want to any listeners listening and think about the broad spectrum of listeners we have across the world etc what are three books that you would just love to put out into the universe and say hey and it doesn't have to be about any specific thing maybe it's just something that you think will bring happiness to somebody because right now a lot of people are hurting um -hmm. or maybe a lot of people I think in their lives right now are in positions that where they have to pivot and maybe find a new career or a new trajectory. And is there anything that you've read that have kind of helped in those moments for yourself? Oh you know? yeah. I say this as I'm, I'm literally like in like swimming in books right now. Oh my God, uh, you guys cause... wait a hold on, hold on, <laughs> coming back, taking a picture, do the screenshot <laughs> thing again. Go, go, go. Let me, I'm let me like, <laughs> was, we're zooming the, of course. The dirty clothes but... out of the way. Oh, I love it so much. Okay. I'll post well, these I'm, on Honestly, I'm Instagram. teaching a, um, teaching a short theory course, uh, at Cranbrook for, um, queer, uh, Black, Indigenous, and POC people on um, archives and representation right now. So we're really talking about how do you, um, what does it mean to be in an archive and what does it mean to look? A really great book. I'm a big fan also of poetry. Um, in the last, the, the Warren Wilson program pushed me there. Um, getting back into fiction as well. Book recommendations. First book would be Julieta Singh's No Archive Will Set You Free. Think it is a really great book it's a very short book it's very personal um it is a very moving book and i i think that everybody should read that book um for those out in the world more on the academic side and i know this book is blowing up this year i used it for everything um during my, my ma time is Catherine yusoff's a billion black anthropocenes or none these are both very short books they're very quick books um that mm-hmm. i've 
you can oh, okay. just read yes, over and over. That. So easy, easy peasy readers. Um, and lengthwise, Billion Black Anthropocenes is kind of about geology and colonialism and the way we think about, I think for craft, it's very interesting because you have to think about your materials and going back to this language of the system and how the system isn't mm-hmm. even built. Um, and that's really what she touches on is how even even the ground that we stand on and where we get our materials as makers um, we need to be thinking about and the language around it because it already is so exclusionary and elitist. And a good old a good third book. Mm-hmm. That, this is so hard. What's a fun one? Give me a guilty pleasure. Give me a guilty pleasure. I'm, I'm like literally like I have to walk over <laughs> to I'm I I should also premise like I am um I am uh dyslexic and ADHD, which I found out through my writing from somebody editing. And so I read a lot of books at once. It is the way I navigate my world, but I'm also very visual where I'm like, I need mm-hmm. to look at something in order um to, to think about it oh i can give you this book though it's you got to be really ready for this book um i think it's a beautiful book it is an emotional book to read it is also an audiobook mm-hmm. um it's by ocean vuong ocean vuong also reads it on audiobook and it's called on earth we're briefly gorgeous You gotta be. You gotta I be alone. I feel like I've heard the name of this book before. It has. It has blown up. You gotta also be alone. Quite a bit. It's. It's a. It's a. It's a very intense. It's essentially a, a book that is written to their mother, and it is by a queer POC person. Um, and it. It is. It's very moving. I. I love it dearly. I. Ocean reads to me often at night, mm. <laughs> um, before bed. But that. That would Aww. be. My my three, which those are, um, of course, right after this call, like I should have done this and I should have done this and I should have done this. But I should also. Know I'm gonna give you I'm a bonus. We're gonna give you a bonus, Matt. <laughs> I won't recommend another book, but what I will, um, which gives me great joy and pleasure, is I love being a resource for books and knowledge. That's part of the end goal mm-hmm. of Fulcrum is to have an accessible resource. Um, I'm really focused on thinking about craft and decolonizing using um non-white colonial writers and thinkers in critical theory or tying it to kind of you know the big white western world um and that is through poetry and narrative and other things so anybody else that wants to talk books send me a message you need a resource um you're doing some research if i can help you i'm that's my jam i love that that actually makes me super happy to talk about these things um I run a lot of independent reading. You did groups. light up when I asked you about books. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm you a did. You just I'm looked like so digital. happy, and then you picked this up and went over to your bookshelf, and I loved it. Yeah, I'm just um, people. Yeah, yeah some people I just like call that. me like I'm working on this thing, and I can like stand in front of my books and like the way they're organized and just kind of pull, and it, it allows me to think differently and to engage um, with a lot of of different material um in, in different ways and to think about it in different ways and yeah i'm 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 super excited i, I think um i'm going to be doing some stuff with new york jewelry week in regards to writing on your own work mm-hmm. which i never thought i was my bachelor's in art history i was just told that i was a horrible writer and i didn't write for years um and then i'm just realizing that i wasn't writing like a white straight cis person 
Um, and I really, mm. I really feel comfortable in my reading and writing practice now. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about it with people and, and to share it um, so people have better experiences. You did give me another book, What's the Use by Sarah <laughs> I knew you were going to take it. You're like, I'm not going to do it. And then I'm going to do, do you, it. How do you not? It's called What's the Use? <laughs> Craft, people. What's the yeah. Use? Ooh, um, queer okay. POC feminism. Again. And I'm going to re-listen back to this and write him out. Yes. Or I can type into you. Yeah. Or I can do anything. I also have like on my Instagram and other things, I have reading resources um, for different things. If I get enough requests, I post public um, reading lists. Um, again, I also do reading groups with people, uh, one-on-ones to um, about groups of five and different things. It doesn't always have mm-hmm. to be about making either. Um, right now doing one on uh, Bell Hooks All About Love is what we're reading together, but as makers and talking about love mm-hmm. and desire and making, um, and what does that look like? And um, yeah, it's just... Cool. Thank you for Just sharing me. those. Thank you. Maddie, this was great. You know what? I mean, we've come a long way, but I feel like I was really scared that this third conversation would just feel maybe rehearsed or not natural because we've talked, but actually I feel like this version's my favorite. Yeah, it's a lot more I'm, I'm not in the thick of it, I think. And that's also, I think in the yeah. beginning, it's also about like, promoting or pushing or um supporting a bit more and this one is was a little more on reflecting and and critically thinking and and being able to pull some things out so i would i would second the motion that this was oh good and also i'm just a talker i know we've talked about this we're both talkers You're such a talker. I, that's, I mean, you guys heard me in the beginning. I was like, all right, you get to say what your degrees are, but you don't get to give me your entire background. You're going to come back on the podcast. It's going to happen. So don't worry about it. We'll have, we're going to give the full Matt Lambert story at another time. After you navigate this whole trying to get to your PhD program overseas and become an expat to do that, et cetera. We're going to touch base with you in we the coming We can talk year. about that then. And I can tell you how I moved all of these books <laughs> overseas. Across an ocean. And <laughs> on that note, um, thank you so, so much for once again, for three times uh, being on Perceived Value. It's been really lovely to get to know you better through this experience. <laughs> um, but also thank you for allowing me to be a part of the inaugural Fulcrum project i'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the future it's exciting for sure you are we're not done with All you right, yet everyone. you're stuck with us well <laughs> i love it yes i'm all yours um okay everyone this has been another episode of perceived value the podcast broaching the subject of value um as it relates to so so many things as always thank you for listening Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron. Visit patreon.com slash perceivedvalue to learn more. Or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.